I hear your words with joy. Amen. This morning's Hebrew scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. We continue in this chapter of Matthew where we left off last week, reading verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? <coughs> Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant found out, or when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver pieces. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger... His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. There is an old phrase that I'm sure you've all heard before. 
Some of you may have been offered this as advice. I know that I have. Forgive and forget. And that phrase makes me crazy. Especially when it's said to victims of abuse or crime who should be encouraged to stay away from the people who will almost certainly hurt them again if given the opportunity. Jesus never says forgive and forget. He says forgive, and those are two totally different things. Forgiving is not just saying, oh, forget about it, it's no big deal. Sometimes, forgetting isn't the right thing to do. Sometimes, it is a big deal. What Joseph's brothers did to him, leaving him in a ditch for slave traders, that was a big deal. It completely changed Joseph's entire life. There is no way that he could ever forget that. And in fact, it would be pretty foolish of him to do so, to forget where he had come from. Just look at what God did to turn all of that around and redeem the situation. To forget what his brothers had done to him would be to cheapen what God did for him in that situation. Joseph did not forget. Joseph could not forget. But Joseph forgave. He forgave fully and lovingly and with a gracious heart. He let go of the darkness of what had happened to him, and he clung to the goodness of a God who saves us out of the pits of slavery and despair so that we can accomplish much for the sake of the kingdom. He treated his brothers more than fairly, with grace and with mercy, but their relationship was very different after forgiveness than it had been before. In the parable that we read this morning, the gracious king forgives the servant's debt, but he does not forget it. When the servant turns around and he's awful to a fellow servant, the king remembers what he has done in forgiving that great debt. He released the debt itself, but he did not say it was no big deal or that it hadn't mattered. It was a big deal. It did matter. Forgiving is not the same as forgetting. Forgiving is letting go of the anger, the hurt, the pain, the grudge, all of the negative emotion and energy wrapped up in the situation and saying, I'm handing these to Jesus. When you're out driving, you're going to want to remember that car you just passed because it's still back there. It's in the rear view mirror now, but it's still a part of what's going on around you. And it could try to pass you later, cut you off, or rear-end you. You should not forget that that car is back there. But you have to leave that car in the rearview mirror. If you obsess about that car, if you just stare out the rearview mirror all the time, you're likely to miss the beautiful scenery out the side window or a stoplight up ahead out the windshield. Perhaps you'll run off the road staring out that back window. Forgiveness is leaving things in the rearview mirror. It's setting them down and leaving them behind us, but not pretending they're not there. Forgiving can be tiring. Sometimes it seems like all we do is forgive, forgive, forgive. <coughs> Forgiveness, even without the forgetting, or sometimes because of forgetting, can be very hard. And Peter points this out to Jesus. How many times... Do we have to forgive people? 
77 times is Jesus' response, or depending on who's translating the Greek, 70 times 7. That's Jesus' reply, and either way, it's a weird thing to say, right? I wonder if Peter expected Jesus to give him an actual number. But the number isn't really Jesus' point. He's not saying we need to keep a notebook and tally how many times we forgive each particular person. That's why it doesn't really actually matter a whole lot if we translate the Greek as 77 times or 7 times 7. Peter throws out what he thinks to be a reasonable number of times to forgive someone. Seven. They've had a few chances to get their act together. But Jesus says, no. Take what you think is reasonable. Multiply that by a whole lot, and you might be starting to get close. In other words, take what sounds like a lot of forgiving and go way beyond that. Before the disciples can even question him again about clearing things up, Jesus launches into a parable about a servant who has forgiven a huge debt. I don't know exactly how much 10,000 bags of gold would be worth in today's terms, but some of um, the experts say it's something like a year's wages or something huge like that. Um, You could probably put it in the ballpark of what we would call a cartload of money. It's like if your bank called tomorrow and said that they were forgiving the remainder of your mortgage or student loans or car loan after you'd only made a few payments. That's the sort of giant forgiveness of debt that we're talking about here. So this servant, newly forgiven of this massive debt, heads home. And on his way home, he runs into a guy who owes him uh, something on the order of 20 bucks. And he lays into him. He grabs a hold of him and starts to choke him, yelling, pay me back. And so the debtor begs for some more time in exactly, word for word, the same way that just moments before, the one he's pleading with had pled with his own boss. And this man who has just had a huge debt forgiven refuses forgiveness to the one who owes little At this point in the parable, I have to imagine that the disciples were all thinking, what a total creep. I know that I am. Who does that kind of thing? And Jesus says, you do that kind of thing. You do that. Every time you hold on to the hate and the anger and the hurt and the bad stuff and you refuse forgiveness to another person, you are that guy. Friends, we have all been forgiven a huge debt. We humans get into all sorts of trouble. Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not most, not some, all. And it's not, and those who sinned littler sins got close enough, or, and some did unforgivable things that even Jesus just couldn't forgive them for. It is simply, we have all screwed up and none of us made the mark. Not even close. Forget a bullseye, none of us have even hit the target. There's just a whole lot of darts in the wall around it. And Jesus walks in and he says, I still love you. Of course, I forgive you. 
There is nothing too big, no terrible skeletons in the closet, no guilt-causing, shame-inducing past, no missed steps, terrible words, embarrassing deeds. There is absolutely, positively, nothing you have done, are doing, or could do to make Jesus turn away from you. No matter what it is, you and you and you and me and you and you are forgiven, period. Robert Farrar Capon says, in heaven there are only forgiven sinners, but in hell too there are only forgiven sinners. He forgives the badness of even the worst of us willy-nilly and never takes back that forgiveness, not even at the bottom of the bottomless pit. The sole difference, therefore, between hell and heaven is that in heaven, forgiveness is accepted and passed along, while in hell, it is rejected and blocked. In heaven, the death of the king is welcomed and becomes the doorway to new life in the resurrection. In hell, the old life of the bookkeeping world is insisted on and becomes forever the pointless torture it always was. In Jesus, God refuses to use the sort of bookkeeping and tab counting that we use. There is no list of sins sorted from worst to least offensive. Sin is sin. Messing up is messing up. And we can either accept that forgiveness or we can ignore it. But that doesn't mean Jesus forgives us any less. The only thing standing in our way is our refusal to live into, to lean into, to soak in, revel in, and truly accept that forgiveness. That is radical thinking. That was radical when Jesus taught it, and it's radical now. It's almost impossible to wrap our heads around. Now we're going to sing one of my favorite hymns together before we part ways this morning. In fact, immediately after the sermon, we're going to sing this. It's probably a favorite of many of you as well. I've always loved this one. I've had at least three of the five common verses memorized from the time I was about six or seven years old. Again, this is where I remind you all I was not a normal child. When I learned to play the guitar, it was one of the first songs that I learned how to play. Amazing Grace is such a deep rich song, especially when you hear about the story of its author, John Newton, it becomes even richer and deeper. Amazing Grace employs some pretty strong language that sometimes we take for granted because we know it so very well. Wretch, a wretch like me. We don't really talk that way anymore, do we? We don't use this word, wretch. Maybe partly because it, it just sort of sounds like the word that it is. It sounds yucky. But have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt wretched? Newton served on several slave ships during his life in the late 1700s and 1800s. And in fact, he was converted on one of those slave ships during a storm while reading a book called The Imitation of Christ. Good book for the record. When he quit working in the slave trade, he was ordained as a minister, and he spent the rest of his life serving in the church. He wrote over 280 hymns. Check the authors on the hymns in the hymnal when we read them. You'll see him time and time again. 
His days on the slave ships stuck with him, however. He was deeply impressed by the fact that God would take someone as wretched as he had been, who had been so terrible to other human beings, and turn him around and use him for the kingdom. He went from despicable slave trader to being the author of one of the most beloved hymns of all the ages. That's an incredible transformation. Friends, there is nothing you've done that can keep Jesus from forgiving you. We are radically forgiven. And that is why we are, in turn, called to radically forgive those around us. Let's take that forgiveness out into the world. Like John Newton, let's not lose the awe of the great forgiveness we've been given. What amazing grace God gives us in Jesus. Amen.